0: This is week number 27 in our study of the book of Daniel. And last week as we got back together after an eight-week break, we just did a a flyby, really, from 10,000 feet. We looked at the first six chapters and also the first 14 verses of chapter 7. So today we'll pick up with our verse-by-verse study over in chapter 7 and verse 15. Now the first 14 verses of this chapter, you'll remember, Uh, Daniel first gives us the setting, and then he describes a vision that he had. The setting is the first year of Belshazzar as king of Babylon. This is somewhere 10 to 15 years before the Medo-Persians came in and took uh, the empire of the Babylonians. So this is somewhere around uh, 539 minus 10 to 15 years, so 549, 550, something like that when this vision occurred and Daniel tells us in chapter 2 that he had this vision and that he wrote after the vision was over he went and he wrote down um, what he had seen in the vision so here he comes writing probably 20 years after he had this vision something like that and he's referring back to the notes that he wrote 20 years ago and so he, he writes what he saw in this vision so he's not trying to recall it He's not remembering what he wrote, but he's actually looking at the notes that he wrote down as he writes the book of Daniel, and especially here in chapter 7. And so um, this vision that Daniel had came to him in the night. You remember the, the first thing he mentions is that um, the four winds were stirring up the great sea. And out of the great sea came four beasts. The first beast was a lion that had wings on its back. The second beast was um, a bear that was humped up on one side. The third beast was uh, a leopard that had four wings on its back. And then the fourth beast that he describes, he he can't give us an animal that it looks like. This is uh, so horrific, so terrifying, so overwhelming to him that there is no animal that looks like this beast but this beast has uh, jaw um, teeth of iron, and it crushes everything. And those that it doesn't crush it, it tramples on them. And so these four beasts come up out of the um, out of the sea. And then the fourth beast, he gives um, much, much more detail. Um, Ten to fifteen, no, sixteen verses, I believe, describe this beast in this chapter. Whereas the others are only given. A verse or less than a verse and so this fourth beast is obviously the focus of this vision the others are just mentioned uh, to say that there are four and then the details are about this fourth beast and this fourth beast Daniel gives us um, a good bit of detail about um, the main thing being that the beast had ten horns and we don't know exactly where those horns are positioned because This is not an animal like any other animal. But anyway, there are 10 horns on this beast. And then uh, while Daniel's looking at those horns, another horn appears. And this is a horn that has uh, eyes of a man and a mouth like a human would have. And this horn makes great boasts. And in front of this horn, three other horns are ripped up by the roots. And so Daniel is left contemplating this you remember the very last thing so those are four beasts that happens is that the ancient of days comes on the scene and we look back and saw that that's clearly God the Father he comes on the scene and he's in a, um, uh, a throne that has wheels that are on fire and coming out from that throne is a river it doesn't really say from the throne but anyway there's a river of fire that's in that place also And God the Father sits on his throne. It says the court is set and the books are opened. So this is a judgment. And the very first thing that happens in this judgment in the vision of Daniel is that the small horn, the one who is still making boast, um, is boisterous and continues on and on. And it says he continues on until the beast is slain and given to the burning fire. And so just quickly there, the judgment is cast and the beast is slain, the horn goes silent, and they're all thrown into the fire. And then after that, the um, Son of Man, one like the Son of Man comes on the scene and God the Father gives to him dominion and a kingdom and glory. And that's a kingdom that he says will last forever forever will never be given to another and it has no end. And so just quickly Daniel goes through and just describes what happens in this vision. Those are the elements of the vision. So there are four kingdoms and then there's a fifth kingdom which is the kingdom of God that comes on the scene. Now as Daniel seeks an interpretation of this, we get more information, we get more details, it gets described more fully. So we'll walk through that today because beginning in verse, really, uh, 16 is where the interpretation is. But we'll pick up this morning in verse 15 and read um, all the way down through verse 25. So Daniel chapter 7, beginning in verse 15, there the scripture reads, As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze and which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet. And the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn which came up and before which three of them fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts, and which was larger in appearance than its associates. I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one, and the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and will devour the whole earth and tread it down and crush it as for the 10 horns out of this kingdom 10 kings will arise and another will arise after them and he will be different from the previous ones and will subdue 3 kings he will speak out arrogant he will speak out against the most high and wear down the saints of the highest one and he will intend to make alterations in times and in law And they will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Okay, so Daniel um, comes out of, he's not out of the vision yet. This is kind of interesting. You'll notice um, in verse 15, he says that his spirit was troubled within him, greatly troubled even. And yet Daniel is still in the midst of his vision. So he's got some consciousness here because he, he understands while he's still in his vision that he's upset about what he just saw. But you can look down in verse 28 and see that the vision is ongoing until verse 28, where he says, at this point, the revelation ended. So even in verse 16, where he says, boy, this really troubled me, and I'm upset about this, he's still in his vision, because he goes, it goes on, right? And he gives more description of it. So there's some cognitive awareness by Daniel that he's in a vision and yet he stays in the vision and he gets more revelation as he goes through. So kind of a strange way for him to have this vision to be aware that he's in a vision and even troubled about the vision and yet remaining in the vision. So this isn't like Nebuchadnezzar who had a dream and then couldn't remember his dream and so Daniel had to recall his dream for him because he couldn't remember it. This is Daniel after his revelation, writing down notes and realizing as he writes his notes that in the middle of the vision, he was upset. All right now, why is, why is this vision that Daniel sees so upset him? What's causing him so much trouble about this vision? What do you think? What's going on? Why, why is, I mean, Daniel sees four beasts come up. They come out of the sea. He ultimately sees the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man come on the scene. The the beast judged and thrown into the fire. So what's vexing him so much?
1: He devours the that says that devours his people. And the fourth beast.
0: Yeah, I think it's some of this that comes after he's given us the revelation we have so far work when he says this beast or this horn was waging war against the saints, meaning the holy ones, the ones that he sided with. And so you know, we don't get that in the beginning of the, of the vision, but Daniel will go on and give us that here in a few verses, and we'll talk about that. But I think that's what's causing him so much trouble is that this horn seems to have authority and seems to be able to do whatever he well pleases. Go ahead. the first
1: three whatever the visions they see he you know associates them with animals, things he knows. right
0: there's nothing like it, nothing that
1: you can describe it to.
0: right right so he's he's overwhelmed by just its appearance and then the events that happen within it even more overwhelm him so he is truly troubled and and wants to know what does all this mean now i told you before that i believe this vision of daniel is parallel to the dream that nebuchadnezzar had in chapter two And that was the the dream about the large statue that had a head of gold and a a chest and arms of silver and a a belly and thighs of bronze and legs of iron and feet of clay and iron. You remember that, right? Okay, what is similar about what Daniel sees here in chapter 7 and what we talked about back in chapter 2 with that vision of the image? There's several things
2: ten toes ten
0: feet. Okay at the end of the f- image of the great statue there are feet that have obviously 10 toes right and here we have 10 horns so that's one thing that's similar what else four sections. Okay that there are four beasts in each one right there um you got a head you got arms and chest you got belly and thighs and you got legs they represent the four in the um, in the first dream of Nebuchadnezzar and here we've got a lion and we've got a bear and we've got a leopard and we've got this terrifying beast again four beasts mentioned so those are parallel alright what else okay that yeah the um, the legs of iron um, did do destruction in Nebuchadnezzar's dream and here that beast overwhelms everything in its way Okay so and and you notice that one of the other parallels here is that even in Nebuchadnezzar's dream we had um two of the beasts two of the parts of the statue covered in only one verse not no detail at all and then a lot of detail about the fourth beast well same is true here right we get almost nothing i mean one verse or so devoted to each of the first three beasts and then this long detailed description of the fourth beast so that's very similar so the 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 focus of both of these is really the emphasis let's say it that way is on the fourth beast all right what other similarities are there final kingdom that's established final kingdom that will go forever right both of them the one in Nebuchadnezzar's dream where you had a stone cut without human hands that came and crushed the statue, pulverized it, so this the wind would blow the chaff away. You remember that? And here we've got the Ancient of Days judging, actually slaying the fourth beast, throwing him into the river of fire. Okay, what else is similar? Okay, in this one, there's war against the saints. We didn't see that in the other one, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So Daniel's dream expands what we got in Nebuchadnezzar's Daniel's vision expands what we got in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. We get much, much more detail here in Daniel's vision. What else do you think of? In the
2: first dream, it starts out with the contemporary. Right. In the second one, it's in the future beyond what Daniel even... Knows concerning the first statue well the
0: first one's not the first one which is a lion with wings on its back represents whom nebuchadnezzar. babylon nebuchadnezzar or even following belshazzar right all the way down to 539 and how do you know that how do you know that you know this lion with wings on its back represent the kingdom of nebuchadnezzar well It just fits, right? No, no. no, there are. You remember, we talked about this in uh, 1840 to 1850. There was an Englishman who went to the Assyrian and Babylonian kingdoms and unearthed a lot of artifacts and took them back. They're there today in the um, British Museum. And some of those artifacts, and I, I looked at a picture of one last night just to remind myself, is a lion... Uh, walking around, you know, he's, he's on all fours, but he's got his head up and he's walking around. He has the face of a man because he's got ears on the side and all that look like a man, but he, and he's got wings on his back. And these are the artifacts that sat at the Babylonian palace that lined the way up to the Babylonian palace. So this would have been very familiar to Daniel. This would have not been something, I mean, Daniel lived there. And so this is something he would have been very familiar with. And when he saw a lion with wings on its back, he would have known that was speaking about the kingdom in which he's had his vision. Remember, this is 15 years, 10 years before the Medes and the Persians come in. Belshazzar has just been installed as king, probably co-king with his dad, really, who was out doing excursions. Um, So... um, The Babylonian kingdom is still intact, it's still strong, it's still going well. Now you've had Nebuchadnezzar and then I believe it's three or four kings and then for the last 10 to 15 years you've got Belshazzar as king. So they had a rapid succession after Nebuchadnezzar of several kings and then Belshazzar comes and remains in power until the end. so this would have been very familiar to Daniel. And and that's one of the ways that we know today is that these artifacts were recovered. We still have them. You can go look at them in the the British Museum in London if you so desire. And so that's one way that we know this. And so you're right that most of these beasts are in the future, but this one, the lion with wings on its back or the head of gold, which um, was the top of the image, both of those represent... Um, Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar himself. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar being the greatest king of Babylon, but not the only king. Okay, so Daniel has seen all this. He's very perplexed. He's troubled. Um, I think he would have made the association. Now, it has been 50 years since Nebuchadnezzar had his dream. So it wasn't like, you know, Nebuchadnezzar had his dream, then Daniel had his it's been fifty years since Nebuchadnezzar had his dream. So a lot's taken place in those fifty years. But Daniel always at the side of Nebuchadnezzar, and then in the last in Belshazzar's king kingdom, not so prominent. Okay, but I think he still would have remembered and made and, and made some association between these two. All right, so he's greatly troubled. In verse 15, my spirit was distressed and the vision in my mind kept alarming me. I approached one of those who was standing by and began asking him the exact meaning or your ESV would say the truth about these things. All right, now, who is this guy that Daniel walks up to? Some person who's there next to the
2: Ancient of Days approach, maybe an angel.
0: Could be... Um, You know, is he he one of the myriad... You remember the Ancient of Days had thousands upon thousands attending him and then before him were myriads of myriads, ten thousands of ten thousands, which is not enough. It needs to be like uh, millions of millions because, you know, on the earth today, there's what? There's almost seven billion people. And then through all of history, there's only been... I don't know, 13, 14 billion people who've ever lived. But all these people have to come for this judgment. So there really are billions of people there, not just hundred thousands. Okay, so, but there are myriads upon myriads. So is this guy one of the myriads of myriads or is he one of the thousands of thousands who's attending the Ancient of Days? Don't know, do we? He doesn't say. Just this guy standing there, just convenient in Daniel's vision so he can go up and ask him questions. But what do you, what do you know about this guy who answers Daniel? He knows. he knows, right? He knows the truth about the vision that Daniel has just seen. So he's, he's put there specifically so Daniel could ask him questions. So this is God providing for Daniel an interpretation of his dream without having to go outside of the vision, without having to go to anybody else. Now this vision, understand, is in Daniel's mind. He says it twice. This is a vision that's in my mind, meaning there's nothing actually happening. Daniel just sees it happening, but it's all in his imagination. There's nothing actually going on, unlike like Saul who saw a great light, and everybody else saw it, and then the voice spoke. It's not like that. This is just going on in Daniel's mind. There's nothing actually playing out. No one else can see this. No one else can hear it. No one else is involved. And so this is God giving Daniel a vision and providing the interpretation within the vision so that Daniel doesn't have to go outside of himself. It's all just God giving him revelation. And I think that's why he calls it a revelation because it's given only to him. No one else is going to be involved. And up until this point where he writes it, we don't know that anybody else ever even knew about this. And even at the end of the book, God tells Daniel to seal it up, meaning we're not sure anybody read this book that was one of his contemporaries, that it would have come much later before anybody knew anything about this book of Daniel. And so this is Daniel, um, overwhelmed, perplexed, he starts to ask this guy questions and this guy gives him kind of like the cliff notes version, right? Verses 17 and 18, he tells him what the whole vision is just like that. He says, these four beasts, oh, those represent four kings that come up out of the earth. And then the uh, ultimately, I mean, look at the way he says it. It's just it's the, the short version of everything. The great beasts which are four in number are four kings which arise from the earth, but the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. Daniel, that's all you need to know is that in the end it's all good, right? You have these four beasts and yeah, there's all kinds of havoc, but uh, in the end the saints possess the kingdom. Why does this guy tell him that? Why, why do we have this short version all of a sudden? This guy, I mean, he takes two verses Three sentences or so and explains the whole vision that Daniel's all upset about. Why does he do that? He's a comforter. All right, it does comfort it, calm him down a little bit, right? Because Daniel, in the end, it's okay. Everything works out. What else? What else? Well, three of the, go ahead
1: when he gets deeper into the specifics of where the vision what actually the end out end of the story is so he doesn't get bogged down into the, the, I don't know, the scary parts of the vision
0: but daniel wants to go into the scary parts he right that's right he still knows what happens. the end is right and that's kind of like us today right i mean we've got the book of revelation which has a whole lot of bad stuff in it no question which will match up to some, a lot of this stuff in daniel but the, you go read the last three chapters and everything's okay, right? And you, you know how it ends. Now that doesn't mean you don't have to go through some things, but you know how it ends. So there's still, there's this hope, and that's what he does for Daniel. He assures him and gives him some hope here. And remember three of these beasts are really, they're not insignificant, but there's, no, there's not much about them in this vision. It's all about the fourth beast, that's where all the focus is in this vision. And so he could just move over to three beasts with no great detail because none's given. I mean, they're, they're all contained in one verse each. Um, and so he gives them this very, very short interpretation of what the vision means. Go ahead, Anna. Well, David was a scholar. He was a scholar. And therefore, to be a scholar, you'd have to have
2: great sense of not just curiosity but willingness to go deep and do your research and so on and of course the Babylonian empire had libraries all sorts of things
0: yeah and he was also the
2: only person who had really been able to come up with the interpretation 50 years earlier and then he saw the change of kingdoms over those 50 years basically the start of Nebuchadnezzar's dream actually being fulfilled
0: yeah, he he did. And you remember, Daniel lives through into the reign of Darius. So he sees the first two kingdoms in his lifetime. He doesn't see the third one, but he sees the first two. So Daniel's perspective is, you know, everybody else who's around, probably even Belshazzar, even though he's been told the story many times, would have forgotten about this image that someone saw 50 years ago in a dream. Nobody else would have been focused on that. Nobody else would remember that. I mean, Belshazzar and the writing on the wall hasn't happened yet. So Daniel is not prominent at this time. He's, he's gone into some level of obscurity. Because you remember, when, when the writing does come on the wall with Belshazzar, that they don't even think to call Daniel until his mother, says his mother, we're not exactly sure who she is, but it's probably not his literal mother. It could be, but who would be much older and would have actually probably been alive when Nebuchadnezzar had his insanity and all that. She remembers this guy, but nobody else does. Daniel's in obscurity. So she says, why don't you go get Daniel, you know, the guy who interpreted everybody else's dreams. And so he comes and he he, um, tells the fate of the writing on the walls. So um, this this simple, quick... um, interpretation of the vision I think is to get, help Daniel to calm down some. He's still in the midst of his vision and some things have really really vexed him and, and for good reason. So he goes on and he says okay fine and good but I really really want to ask you some questions about this fourth beast. So that's what he begins to do in verse 19. Now the, again this is in notes that Daniel wrote after this vision was over. He's referring back to those notes as he writes this book. So it's it's not like, well, maybe he got it wrong, okay? Because as soon as the vision was over, he says, you need to see that, don't you? Back in verse 2, verse 1. Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed, and then he wrote the dream down and related it, related the following summary of it. So this is Daniel looking at his notes that he wrote about this dream so there's no question if he gets it right or he's confused or that's not happening here he has questions because he doesn't understand but he, he gets it right what he writes is what really happened in his dream so he goes on in verse 9 and he says okay okay then I desired to know the exact meaning and again your ESV I believe says the truth about these things I desired to know the exact meaning meaning um, of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. Okay, now what's immediately different about this? In, in what he first said he saw in the vision and what he sees now, what he describes now. Surely you'll get this, right? Claws of bronze. Where did the claws of bronze come from? They're not there when he first relates the interpretation, right? I mean, the dream. I mean, you go back and you look. Where's the the beast at? Um, Verse 7. After this, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrifying, extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. The cause of bronze. Why now does he say the cause of bronze? Is there any significance to the cause of bronze?
2: The middle and thighs were made from
0: bronze. Right. So
2: maybe the remnants of those kingdoms ended up being the source of the weaponry that could have been used to destroy.
0: Well, and the bronze would have been the Greeks, right? The fourth beast we have debate about, right? Well, maybe. <laughs> so, I, you know, I thought about this and I looked and I read and, and, and I, I really don't think there's a lot of significance to the cause of bronze other than if you're going to bite something with your teeth, then what do you have to do? You got to hold it. So this is what he held things with in order to be able to bite them with his teeth. Okay. Now, we don't know exactly, you know, did he have two claws or eight claws? I mean, we don't know. He just had claws of bronze. But I, I really, I, I mean, if you've got something that would shed some light on it, I don't think there's any significance to the fact they're made out of bronze. I just, I, I don't find anything. Go ahead.
2: I'm always frustrated when I get through Daniel because it seems to leave out Cyrus
0: he jumps, he jumps from
2: um, Nebuchadnezzar over to Darius.
0: Well, remember that... And or, well, and there's this debate, right? About Now, Daniel was underneath Darius, who was king of the province of Babylon. Darius, king of the kingdom of the Medo-Persians, which included much more than just Babylon. So, so Daniel is associated with, with uh, Darius. And, Cyrus. and sorry, I did say it wrong. Cyrus is the king over the whole kingdom, which is much, much more vast than just the province of Babylon. So, and, and you know, we get that from where Darius was. Um, can't remember the exact wording, but set up as king, given the kingdom of Babylon is the way it says. So someone had to give it to him. Well, Cyrus gave it to him and said, you rule this part because you were the first in control here, and I'll rule the whole kingdom. And he, he probably had other kings over parts of his kingdom also. But, so Cyrus is much larger than just what Daniel is associated with. But So I don't think he jumps him because Cyrus would be represented by the whole Medo-Persian kingdom. In this particular case, the bear that's humped up on one side, right? The Persians being stronger than the Medes. And so he's humped up. Yeah, even at this time when they take it over, they are because uh, they've already had their skirmishes and settled them. Okay, they weren't like they were best buddies, the Medes and the Persians, right? They were not best buddies. And there's a whole lot of trickery and manipulation that goes on as they come into power. But nevertheless, the Persians were stronger than the Medes.
1: Cyrus is mentioned in yeah. one
0: chapter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He comes up later. He definitely comes up later. So, um, all right. So Daniel has questions about this fourth beast. I really, really want to know what this fourth beast represents. So Daniel persists in these um, in these questions and. Um, All right, what what does this beast look like? If you were going to draw this beast out of your imagination, what would he look like? I mean, just give me some of the details. We don't know everything, but give me some of the details that you would have to include if you were drawing this beast. Has a mouth, big one, with big teeth. Big, right, big jagged teeth. I don't really know. All right, that's one thing. What else? All right, we got claws of bronze on it. It says claws, so there's at least two of them, right? Could be a whole bunch of them, don't know. Ten horns. Ten horns. It's got ten horns and it doesn't say on its head, right? It right. does not say that. It just says it has ten horns. Like I said, it says on his head, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's why you're in here helping me. Well, then
2: there was an
0: eleventh. Right. so it has a head right and you assume the mouth is in the head but it doesn't have to be doesn't have to be right but that's kind of the way we would assume but it doesn't look like an animal so you can't draw it looking like an animal that you would you know be familiar with right it big strong feet
2: that can stomp.
0: Yeah. yeah it's got elephant like feet or something you know big strong feet that so and it's got at least two of them right so um, you know, this could be like a dinosaur that's got you know small claws, or who knows? We don't know. We don't know. Any other features given about this guy? Go ahead.
2: We know that every time the word beast is used, it's referring to a nation. Yeah. At all times. Yeah. But ascribed to this beast are three adjectives: devoured, crushed, trampled.
0: Right. Same ones used, by the way, back in nebuchadnezzar's but
2: if we go in looking at daniel's uh uh view of nations none that i can recall have ever today represented
0: this beast well you know there's debate about that right well i'm just saying me well well, me too so but i mean there is debate about that and um and you know when just to preview after we finish Daniel, before we go elsewhere, my hope, my desire, is to walk us through the scriptures of the prophets, and even back to Genesis. So I'll pull some of the historical stuff. And show why I think it's not Rome. Out of the scriptures. To, why it's not Rome. Why the fourth beast is not Rome. That's So I'm just telling you where I'm going. And you know in the end... You can agree with me or disagree. It doesn't really matter. I'm going to show you. I mean, because I've said it a number of times, right? So I owe it to you, I believe, to give you why do I keep saying that and why do I believe it's not Rome. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and go through the scriptures and from the prophets and a little bit historical show you why I do not believe it's Rome and why I think Rome falls short of meeting the descriptions that Daniel gives. This is
2: this called a teaser?
0: Yeah. Now, we're in chapter 7. There are 12 chapters in Daniel. We've been 27 weeks. So we're talking about 2016 if the Lord tarries, right? Middle of 2016 at best before we get there. So it's worth your while to stay around. Because, I, I, I mean, I'm, that's what I spent the last eight weeks doing. That's what I will continue to do at a lesser degree now for the next... 25, 28, 30, 40 weeks to try and be ready to show you that when we get there. Okay? Because... So well. well, you know, <laughs> I have my days too. So we'll see. But, I mean, that's where I desire to go because I want us to, not to agree, I want us to be fully informed so we, we have reasons to believe what we believe. Go ahead. Another adjective he assigns to the yeah. The other three is exceedingly dreadful. That's right. That's right. The others do not terrify Daniel. They don't. And I mean, he's living in the midst of the first one, and it hasn't been all that bad for him. Matter of fact, it's gone pretty well for him. So, you know, and, and even when he gets to the second one, it goes pretty well for him. It's not a bad thing for Daniel or his companions. Now, there's a whole lot of other people it's been really bad for. But for Daniel, it's been pretty good. And so, but this last one really terrifies him. And I. Th- if you're
2: going to tell us what it is not, are you going to tell us what it is? Yes, yes,
0: yes. Yep. I am.
2: verse. We want the truth.
0: That's right. All I can do is tell you what the scripture says and then where what I see in it. But yes, I will not only tell you what I, that I don't believe is Rome and why but I'll tell you what I believe it is. And that even takes more study. So I'm working on that, okay? So you can pray for me, that I'll get it right and cut it straight and be able to present it in such a way that we won't take 80 weeks to go through <laughs> it, but we'll take several weeks to go through it. Okay? So I'm trying, I'm working on that. Okay, so we get back to this. Now, I think you could easily have a misconception out of this verse by what is actually written here because he says that um, you know he has claws of bronze which he devoured, crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet now okay remainder what's he talking about well I mean you could easily take this at least on my first reading I thought it was the remainder of the other kingdoms right which means these kingdoms are contemporaries of one another. But we know that's not true. So it can't mean that. So what does he mean when he says it trampled down the remainder? What's the remainder?
1: Three kingdom.
0: Which kingdom?
2: The remainder What's he? The medium version.
0: Well, he did. He did not come after the Medo-Persians. He comes after the Greeks. <coughs> it's the remainder equals those who he doesn't crush with his mouth. That's all it is. If you get away from his mouth, he crushes you with his feet. And it doesn't represent the other kingdoms. It doesn't have anything to do with the other kingdoms. It's just if you get away from his mouth, his feet will get you.
2: Those he cannot deceive are the ones
0: that he tramples. You know, it says crush, right? So I don't know if that's deception or if that's literal crushing. He also
2: said devour,
0: so yep. like he them. Right, well, and realize the, the bear also devours. Yeah. It says, go and devour much meat. So this devouring is overcoming. overcoming and, and taking into ta- You know, totally decimating, destroying, overcoming trampling on them so there's nothing left now this is one of the reasons I don't believe it's Rome I'll just give you a preview right because Rome did not do that when they took over the Greeks they assumed their culture when they took over Jerusalem they built roads and temples and houses they didn't crush anything oh yeah they did crush them in 70 AD but only because they revolted the whole 100 years before that everything was good they were actually helping the countries. They did that everywhere they went. They didn't crush and devour and destroy and wipe out. They supported and undergirded and built roads and financial systems and all kinds of stuff.
2: What did? Khan? There are some that did. USSR?
0: There are some that did. Since then to now. We'll talk about that after we get through with Daniel. Right? <laughs> that's where I'm working. That's what I'm That's what I'm studying. That's where I'm trying to get it right, okay? Because there are some that did.
1: You have ISIS that's blowing up ancient relics and stuff like that.
0: Sure, sure. So we'll we'll talk about it, okay? We'll talk about it when we get there. Well, now. I know, I know. I'm not ready now, okay? It's my fault. I'm not ready. Go ahead. Well, it
2: talks about nations and it gives examples the and then all of a sudden here's another group. Or entity mm-hmm. called the saints.
0: Right. And they're not
2: identified with any nation. They're just the saints.
0: Well, at the end, he'll give, give them an identification. Not, not the end of the book, the end of this chapter. So we, I didn't read it, because we're not going to get there, obviously. But we will read it, and we will cover it. But he does give them an, an identity, I believe, a little bit later on, a couple of verses later. Okay, and so now you're reading it, right? Because you want to know what it says. <laughs> yeah, that's the way this works. This works. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, so um, Daniel still desires to know. He doesn't, he doesn't know at this point what these things are. So um, he goes on into verse 20 and he says, not only does he want to know about this fourth beast, and the physical descriptions of it but he specifically wants to know the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up before and three fell namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts and which was larger in appearance than its associates alright now that's a bad interpretation translation by the writers of the NAS right because that last phrase, if you have an NAS, what it says is this last horn, which is having great boasts, was larger in appearance than the others. What's the problem with that? Well, what's, what's just what's does nothing bother you about that? How was the horn described in the vision? Little horn, little horn, right? not bigger than the others smaller than the others that came up and before it three of the others were uprooted okay esv i think says it much better it doesn't say larger in appearance than the other it says what
2: seemed greater than its
0: companions seemed greater all right now greater doesn't necessarily mean larger right so what does he mean when he says seemed greater
1: and it
2: says more imposing
0: right okay and I think that would be a good in, in, in translation. This is the guy who appears to have authority over the other 10. He seems to be stronger than they are. He seems to be able to wield his yeil, will, and the others can't. So that's what it is. He's not larger in appearance. As a matter of fact, he's smaller than the others. But he's more powerful. he's more imposing. He's able to wield his yield will. He's the one who's in control. Because remember, he comes out, right? The other ten are already there. They're established. Now, you, you guys keep saying nations, and I'm okay with that, but it's really kingdoms, right? Because these guys are kings. They're not presidents. back
1: says the ten kings that right. had no and that Antichrist power for that one hour and give
0: their kingdom to him. Right. Well, and you know, I'll just ask you a question about that. Why do the ten kings, and there's only seven at the end, give their kingdoms to, yeah, right. to the small horn? Why do they do that?
1: Power the whole world.
0: No, no. What does Revelation say? Why do they do that? Well, i just tell you, we won't go look at it, because God put it in their minds to do so.
1: The other question is, when you read that in Mark, I mean, Luke and, and Matthew... Yeah, you talk... When Satan shows that, uh, uh, Jesus all his kingdom, all the kingdom at once... Right. And he says, if you bow to me, I'll give you that kingdom.
0: Yeah. You sort of have control
1: of the earth. All the kingdom, obviously, God controls it, but he has all the kingdoms.
0: Well, in this present day, Satan is the prince of the power of the air, right? He does have an authority to do what he desires to but that authority is not his own it's been given to him for a time right same thing about these kings there are any of these kingdoms any of these kings that we're talking about they've been given power that's the way Daniel always describes it not as you grab power or you got power but it was given to you because God is ultimately over it all now those kings only give their kingdom to the antichrist because God persuades them to. Not they decide it's a good idea. Not because they want to do that. Not because He makes them do that. But because God puts it in their mind to do that.
1: So it's the same as one uh, in chapter thirteen when He gives them uh, when the, the devil gives the ki- uh, His power and kingdom to the
0: antichrist. Right. Same thing. Same thing. The devil never goes away, by the way. He's still there.
1: Is the devil the little
0: horn? Is the devil the little horn? I don't think so. Why not?
1: No, he's not,
0: the to no, 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 no. Look at what the description says. Why is the devil not the little horn? Because he has eyes like a man and a mouth that boasts. Meaning this little horn is Human. Human. This is a human, okay? Because he's got eyes like a man and a mouth that boasts like men do. Go ahead.
2: Uh, I have a question about the ten nations that we've heard several times. It's, it's the world. It's, it's, it's the whole geography. I don't think so. I don't think
0: so either. <laughs> okay? And again, as we look at... After we, get out of the, after we get out of... Well, that's a good question for you that you can start to think about. Does the Antichrist control... The whole world, and I'll give you my answer: No. Matter of fact, a pretty small part of it. Just something for you to think about. And why do I say that? Because there are wars to the very end. Who's he fighting against if he controls the whole thing? Right? He doesn't control the whole thing. I don't believe. But you can think about that because you've always been told that, right? And if Christ controls the whole world. Don't think so. What
1: do you say, what do you- you're not you're not from my father, you're actually from the devil. So right. if you're not the God's side, you're the devil's side.
0: Oh, that, that's definitely true. That's true today. But I don't... It's his
1: children, he says. You're a child of the devil. So
0: right. Even Jesus said that. Well, well, Jesus said that to specific people in the Jewish country. He didn't say it to everybody. He said it to those Pharisees.
1: Well, he just said, if you're not my side, you're on his side.
0: Right. <laughs> to those Pharisees. It means don't associate everything that Christ said to specific people in general he said it to specific you've got to be careful there when the scriptures speak about conversations between specific people or to spe- specific people don't generalize don't generalize you can't do that Okay, so you've got to be careful if you do that with Israel you'll really get wrapped around the axles so we'll talk about all this. I promise it's coming. Just not yet. We're not ready yet. So we will get ready. All right. I've got, what time is it?
2: 5.58.
0: till. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'll try and put a, a bow around this so we can come back to it next week. So Daniel is asking this interpreter of the of his vision to give him specific details about who the beast is and what do the kings represent and what does the little horn represent and then he'll go on and he'll say because I saw the little horn prevailing against the saints of the Holy One. And that's what's got him really upset because he is one of those. So this is why he's so upset about this because God has protected him all the way through here and now he sees people who are devoted to God being overwhelmed. Now the Jews were clearly overwhelmed and many of them slaughtered but those people weren't devoted to God. Daniel now sees true saints who are committed to God who get overcome. That's what's got him upset and he wants to know the explanation of these things. So that's where he, that's what he's asking his interpreter. Now his interpreter gives him what this stuff means. And so that's what we'll walk through next time. What exactly is he talking about here with the fourth beast and the kings and the horns and all this stuff? Okay, he doesn't give him full explanation, but there's more given in this vision to Daniel, way more than was given to Nebuchadnezzar. In the next vision to Daniel, there's more given about these specific things. And in the next vision, even more given. So God, through Daniel's life, is progressively giving him more and revealing more. And we'll get into the details of it. Okay, and some of that we will have to go chase some other scriptures. But if you'll notice, what I'm trying to do (laughs) as we go through Daniel is stay in Daniel. What did Daniel know? What was Daniel's perspective of these things? Instead of trying to all of a sudden bring everything else in. Now later we will bring everything else in and we'll make... Um, parallels to Daniel but we're not there yet so that's why you don't hear me going chasing these other verses now I know they come to your mind they come to my mind too but I'm resisting the urge to go and make the parallels we'll make the parallels when we get to there and we'll look back at Daniel as our base reference okay so that's what I'm that's my method in what we're doing Just to that
2: thought within Daniel obviously he remembers the dream and he saw where he was in that dream of Nebuchadnezzar. Yep. And I, it's, it's more speculative, I guess. I wonder how much he wonders where he's at here. In other words, he recognizes, but I'm wondering if he's looking and asking those questions, knowing it's the future or knowing it, or wondering.
0: He, he knows he's in the lion's kingdom, right? I mean, he knows that because he's seen the statues. He had Nebuchadnezzar's vision. He knows that. But at this point, that's all he knows. He has no idea when that kingdom is going to end until he reads the book of Nehemiah and then the bells go off for him. And he says, oh, 70 years of captivity. This is the time. So that, until then, until he reads the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. No, 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 no. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> until he reads that book... He doesn't know. Now, I'm sure he's read it before and just not put the pieces together. But now he comes back and he reads it again. He goes, oh, this is the time. It's been 70 years. And so then he begins to pray that God would show him and help his people because the time is up. But until then, and and we're 15 years removed from that, we're more than that. We're, We're at least 10 to 15 years before that happens. And so, at this point, Daniel doesn't know when the kingdom is going to end, or at least he doesn't realize when it's going to end. Final thoughts? Something you want to ask me? There's a whole, whole, whole lot to cover. I'm telling you. It just Every time I study it, it gets bigger. Okay? But I really desire for us to go through it. This is why I started in Daniel. Because this is the background for Revelation and for the the passages that Christ spoke.